Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you this morning that you have given us your word. We pray now that you would pour out your spirit so that we might hear it, we might understand it, and we might apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated. One day this will start up. It's good to be with you again this morning. Um, We are in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Acts, and uh, we've been talking about how the gospel is outward bound. And um, I remember a story from a number of years ago about a... um, about a company in China. There was a scandal from this milk and baby formula producer. You might remember it. And it was found that the company was diluting the milk with an industrial chemical called melamine. And they did this because they wanted the melamine would boost the uh, protein levels. It wouldn't actually produce, boost the protein levels. It would make it look like there was a higher level of protein so that their products would actually pass the quality control standards for milk and baby formula. In all, nearly 300,000 children were affected. 53,000 ended up in the hospital, and sadly, six infants died because of the melamine. And at the time, such adulterations were not something that was new. In fact, they had been using the same melamine in animal feed to boost the appearance of higher levels of protein, and animals had been dying from this as well. Now, Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, in his first letter that we know as 1 Peter, he writes this in chapter 2. He tells the church, like newborn infants, you should long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. See, friends, the object and intent of the church's mission is to enable every human being to find salvation in Jesus Christ and to be fed on pure spiritual milk in order that they might grow up fully into their salvation. This morning in the book of Acts, we run into one of the challenges that the early church faced in leading people to salvation in Christ. Now, we've been reading about how the mission of God was expanding, how it had gone from a mostly Jewish audience in Jerusalem out to the Gentiles, to those who have no history and no experience in Judaism. And as Gentile believers came to faith, it was changing the church particularly the church in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were based. It was becoming increasingly more diverse. I mentioned this last week when we, at the beginning of Acts chapter 13, there was a list of five people and these five people were from all over the place and all kinds of backgrounds. Some were Jews and some were Gentiles. The church was changing. Now, it's not surprising that as the church grows, as people come to faith, that conflicts might arise between the old ways of doing things and the new ways of our life in Christ. Everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, were discovering their new life in Christ that has come to them through faith in Jesus. From the first believer to today, 
every Christian experiences the challenge of living as God's new creation. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he writes a whole section of his uh, letter to the church in Ephesus about putting off the old self and putting on the new life in Christ. Perhaps you've experienced this. You've had to ask questions as you begin or at different points as you continue your life in Christ. You have questions about priorities. What do I do with my time? What do I do with my money? What do I do with my family? Is it important for me to have new habits like attending church regularly or whatnot? You have questions about morality. Can I continue to party and find a life full in Christ? Can I, uh, can I sleep with this person who's not my spouse and, and still have a fullness of life in Christ? Should I continue to kind of fudge the numbers on my taxes when nobody really notices, right? I mean, that's, who, I don't want to ask who's been audited by the IRS. (laughs) You might have been. I've never been audited by the IRS. If the IRS is listening, this is not an invitation. I've been completely honest in every way. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) They're listening. They're always listening. (laughs) You have questions about moral things. These and many more. You have questions that might be more theological. How am I actually acceptable to God? Is it the way that I was acceptable to my parents? Is it the way that I find myself acceptable to my employer? Is there any difference? Whatever your particular questions are, they are always rooted in your history and your experiences. And unwinding that history takes time. Putting off the old self and putting on the new often can be quite difficult. Yet it is really important. As Rick Warren, the author of the book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, Pastor Rick Warren puts it, he says, we are all products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners to it. And in our gospel reading, Jesus neatly summarizes who God is and what he does when he says in verse 32 of the 12th chapter of Luke, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Our God wants to fully give you the kingdom of God. And so the church in Acts 15 is facing this similar conflict between the old way and the new way in Christ. So here's the context. Paul and Barnabas, they've returned from their first missionary journey. It began back in Acts 13, where we were last week, and it had been quite successful. And by the end of chapter 14, we learned that despite conflict, despite opposition, despite difficulties, they had preached the gospel and had made many disciples. And now they have returned to their home base. They've returned to Antioch where they've gathered the church. And Acts uh, 14, 27 says this. When they returned, they basically declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They were basically celebrating. It had been a good trip. There are new believers. God is at work. But what we'll see in Acts 15 is while God is at work, Not everything was at peace. Verse 1 of Acts 15. You can see it in your bulletin. It will be on your screens. It says this, But some men came down from Judea 
And now these were Jewish men, and they began to teach a heresy. Uh, they were teaching the brothers, it says, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This was a clear clash between the old way of doing things and the new. Between the Jewish believer who had grown up in Judaism and the law and the Gentile believers who were coming, uh, as we all do, to God through Christ by faith. And these men who were coming down, they were called Judaizers. It's not a nice term. If you want to throw around an insult that nobody ever understands, just call somebody a Judaizer. Um, you know, they might understand Pharisee. That's a little less nice and a little less subtle. But they were called Judaizers. And their message is that in order to be saved, in addition to faith in Jesus, you must keep all of the Jewish law, beginning with circumcision. And here's what they were doing. They were contaminating the gospel. Just like melamine was contaminating the milk in China, so it is that a demand to return to the law that brings death will contaminate the grace of God in our life. Both have potentially devastating effects to our lives. And so when Peter says in in his letter that we should long for pure spiritual milk, the word pure means unadulterated and uncontaminated. And so not only do we need, not only do we need the perfect, unadulterated, uncontaminated grace of God, the world needs it as well. It matters for us. And it matters for the world that Jesus loves, that Jesus came, that Jesus died for. And what happens is, often, whether we know it or we don't know it, we often return to the law. It's super easy to do. We put our faith in something other than Christ. We trade the freedom we have in him for bondage. And if you read the New Testament, you will find over and over again that the law has never been able to save us. It will do some things. It will expose your need for Jesus. It'll show you how you fail and you need a savior. It might be able to restrain evil from time to time. It'll restrain wickedness in you, perhaps. It might restrain wickedness in the world. It can help you know how to live for Christ. What does holy living look like? If we want to pursue holiness, which is something that we do in the power of the Spirit. But the one thing it cannot do is save you. If you return to it after receiving the grace of God through faith, you will trade the liberty or freedom you have in Christ for bondage. You will become a slave to the law again. And the Apostle Paul will spend all of his life defending the church and its mission from this heresy. The heresy that we need something other than faith in Jesus to save us. Friends, hear this. If you are in Christ, your future depends not on your works, but on your faith. Your future in Christ depends not on your works, but on your faith. Not on what you can do, but on what Jesus has done. Even though you, like the early church, will face temptations to return to the old way, you can maintain a pure faith 
and the unadulterated good news of Jesus in your life. And Peter, he shows us how in the remainder of Acts 15. So we're going to look at this. Because of the conflict, uh, there was a conflict in, uh, uh, in Antioch and the vital need to, sell, uh, to settle the issue. The church came together in Jerusalem with the apostles and the elders and Paul and Barnabas were sent down to have a council. Now, if you ever want to know how to deal with conflict in, within the church, here it is. Deal with it directly. If you have a conflict with us as leaders of the church, the right way to deal with this is to come and talk it through, to come and work this out in relationship. And I want you to notice that they, they argued. There was a lot of dissension. There was a lot of debate. It probably wasn't all that comfortable at times, but the church was determined to be together because Jesus unites us and wants us to remain united in everything. So the churches come together in council, and it's like a who's who of the church gathered in Jerusalem to deal with the questions, do the Gentiles need to keep the law? Peter's there, Paul and Barnabas are there, James the brother of Jesus is there, Chris Warner is there. Um, Yeah, he looks very young for his age. Um, the The secret of Chris Warner is that he beat Harrison Ford to the Temple of Doom and found the Holy Grail. Um, Got to be a certain age to get that reference. Um, Peter responds to this debate. His response, it's going to teach us three things about, about maintaining pure faith in us. First, pure faith rests on the word of God. Pure faith relies on the yoke of Christ. And then third, pure faith unites all humanity. So first thing. Pure faith rests on the word of God. We're picking up at verse 7. So there had been a lot of debate when Peter finally responded. Now, a little side note. I love verse 7 because if you know the story of Peter, you know that he was, um, let's say, uh, he was often impertinent, right? He was impatient. He was a little capricious at times. And now what we see is things have changed. He is patient. He's listened to this entire debate. And after a while, after it goes round and round, then and only then does Peter stand up and begin to speak. And then I look at this and I go, you know what? There is hope for me yet. I am one who just will fly off and start talking when I should wait and listen. And Peter's response begins not with how he feels, but on who God is and what God's done. Pure faith rests on the word of God. Verse 7, he says this, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles, that they should hear the word of God and believe. So Peter Peter makes this point. It was God who made the choice that the Gentiles should enter the church, that they should hear the good news proclaimed to them and believe, because God was at work. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by God, because God gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And verse 9, it was God who made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. 
What Peter is doing is reviewing his own personal history of God's saving work among the Gentiles. He was living out what we now read in the New Testament. So he is recalling what it is that God has done in the same way that when you and I, we want to recall what God has done, we go to the Bible, we open it up, and we read it. This is why God has uh, revealed himself through the word of God, so that we might recall what he has done. In the historic documents of the church, in the Anglicanism, in our prayer book, um, in both the uh, uh, all the prayer books, there are these things called the 39 articles. They are the histor- historical articles of the faith. And if you get a prayer book, there's one back on the windowsill if you want. You can turn to the back, and there are these 39 articles of faith. And, ver- and uh, Article 7, excuse me, Article 6, is on the sufficiency of Holy Scripture for salvation. And the article of faith says this, Holy Scripture contains all things necessary to salvation. Everything that you need to be saved is found in the Bible. So that whatever is not read therein, nor may be proved by thereby, is not to be required of any men. Basically, if it's not written in the Bible... If it can't be proved by the Bible, by uh, kind, of, kind of common sense level logic, then it is not required of you to do to be saved. Why? Because in the Bible we read today that everyone is being saved by faith. Everyone is being saved by faith. So that pure faith... Pure life in Christ, the life that leads to salvation, it rests on the word of God. That's number one. Second, Peter shows us that pure faith relies on the yoke of Christ. Uh, Continuing in verse 10, Peter uh, is accusing these Judaizers. Uh, It has an accusatory tone. He goes this, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke around the neck of these disciples that neither our fathers nor we would have been able to bear. Uh, There was a Sunday school teacher uh, who read Matthew 11, uh, 30, uh, to the children in her class, and she asked, so Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who can tell me what a yoke is? And a boy raised his hand, and he had a wonderfully accurate and beautiful response. A yoke is something they put on the necks of animals so that they can help each other. Peter makes the point that the yoke of the law doesn't help us because it can never save us. Not once in history, except for Jesus, there has never been a time when anybody has been able to keep the law of God. Only Jesus kept the law perfectly. And I wonder this morning, what yoke are you wearing? Friends, if you experience shame or condemnation in your life in Christ, that's not the way it should be. Jesus' yoke, like the little boy said, should help you. It's meant to help you. And the Bible says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if that's what you're experiencing, then I invite you just to examine your life and see if somehow you've unknowingly returned to the law or still living by the law and you've let it contaminate the grace of God for you. 
Finally, pure faith unites all humanity. Verse 11, Peter continues, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they, the Gentiles, will. What Peter is saying is, we're all the same, whether you grew up as a Jew, or whether you grew up as Christian, or whether you grew up as knowing nothing. You will be saved only by the grace of God. It unites all humanity. And isn't that good news? In a world where everything is so divided, I mean, so divided, particularly in America, that the gospel says, and this is hard for those of you who have been, uh, who are living this division out really personally and really emotionally, but the gospel says that every person, if they believe, will be saved by God's grace. No matter which political party, no matter what color you are, no matter whether you serve in the armed forces or whether you are a a conscientious objector, we're all going to be saved by the grace of God. It is the uniting factor. Why? Because God intended for us to be united way back in the beginning. We were all to be living out and caring for God's creation together. And because sin has entered all of us, we're all in need of his grace and mercy. And the idea that circumcision or any point of the law or any uh, quality or action on our part is necessary for salvation other than faith, it was uniformly rejected by the council. All of humanity is united in this. If we're going to be saved, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to be saved through God's grace. So, two points of application and we're done. Earlier I mentioned that uh, not only do we need the perfect, unadulterated, uncontaminated grace of God, but the world needs it as well. It has both an inward importance and an outward importance for our mission as a church. So first, inwardly, I talked about this just a moment ago, briefly. God intends for you to experience true joy, real peace, full life in him. If that's not what you're experiencing, then something's not right. If you're not experiencing, it doesn't mean that you won't experience challenges, or difficulties, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace. God, Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to the full. If that's not what you're experiencing, something's not right. And perhaps you've embraced a teaching that asks you to do something more than what is in God's Word. And when this happens, it can have a deadly effect on your spiritual well-being. Perhaps today you're longing for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. You may want the good stuff. You may want the unadulterated, perfect, full-fat, delicious milk, right? This is what Jesus has come to give you. And I invite you to examine your priorities, perhaps what teachings you've embraced, and compare them to the Bible. It may be necessary for you to take off the old way and put on the new way of Christ. You may need to trade that old yoke for the new one. And if you need help, there are plenty of people around Holy Cross who can and want to walk with you in that. 
I'm around all week. And like most pastors, I only work one day of the week. So I've got time. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) um, Ultimately, if you're in need of Jesus' help, he says this. Come to me. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me. He longs to put his arms around you because it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you life. Second, outwardly. It's outwardly important for our common mission. This is a sermon series about the gospel going out, about it being outward bound. And I want to ask, what expectations do you have for others who come in faith to Christ. It's not uncommon for us as a church, as Christians, to make demands of other people that God has not made to us. So as we share faith and evangelize the world, I want us to be cautious. I want us to be bold, but I want us to be cautious not to pass along a set of expectations, a new law which nobody can fulfill, that no one can bear. None of the forefathers could do it. None of the disciples could do it. None of us can do it. Our call is to introduce people to Jesus and to give them pure spiritual milk, the real stuff that leads to salvation. Because as Peter says, we too believe that we will be saved through grace just as everyone else will. That's our prayer as we go out that we would introduce people to Jesus and through his grace they might find life. Let's pray. Oh God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.